Welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I am your host, Q, and I'm excited to introduce our guest for today is Aiden Killick, the president and COO of Hive Blockchain. Aiden, welcome to the show. Q, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Excited to hear a lot more about Hive, but I want to first roll back the clocks a little bit and hear how you first learned and discovered Bitcoin and what was your initial reaction? I mean, I, I heard about it. It's funny. Like I, I remember being an engineer. It was, I think, around 2012. And I was in my I was I was at my desk and I remember hearing about this thing and I was like, oh, maybe I should just buy some. And it was one of those things like, oh, maybe I'm just going to grab lunch. And and then I kind of forgot about it. And then, you know. I didn't end up buying it back in 2012 and I, around 2016, 2017, I started uh, participating in ICOs because I had um, some friends from Van I'm in Vancouver, Canada that were, that did an ICO project. And I, I was like, oh, okay. Like all these tokenized ideas of, and, and by the way, you know, by this point I had bought some Bitcoin and, and Ethereum in 2016, 2017. And then, you know, I'd also gotten in these ICO projects, which all went nowhere. And the only thing that had any like real residual value, of course, was like my Bitcoin. And I was kind of like, okay, so, you know, it really, it really began to dawn on me quickly. Cause I, I'd known guys that had been, you know, mining since the really early days, right? Like mining at a large scale since 2013, 2014. And, you know, for them, it was all about Bitcoin. Right. So uh, I think, uh, you know, it was, it was around that era. And then I, I actually inspired by Hive, I founded a uh, company of my own called Fortress Blockchain, uh, which was a Bitcoin mining company in 2017 and took that public and ran it as CEO. So sort of like 2017 was a very pivotal moment for me in my life uh, as I was kind of like in really like I just not not only got familiar, but I just immersed myself with Bitcoin. Right. And no looking back ever since, although it's been a wild ride. Uh, absolutely. Do you mind sharing some lessons that you learned when you went down sort of the ICO craze and what have you, what mistakes did you make and what did you learn through that? Yeah, experience? great question. So, I mean, like a very pragmatic piece of like investing advice, if you are going to invest in something highly speculative, like an ICO or whatever, a DeFi project or an NFT, have a limit on where you're going to sell. Like you can even have a limit order. So you automatically sell when it hits that because, you know, once it, crests and falls you're, you're never gonna <laughs> reach that but more importantly i think like a more qualitative piece of advice is you know a lot of the tokenized projects in, from that era all purported to have some use case right okay we're gonna tokenize i remember there's something called trial token and it was just like yeah we're gonna tokenize lawsuits so you could use tokens to fund your lawsuit and if you win the lawsuit you get a return it was the most ridiculous thing i'd ever heard by the way, it ended up being a scam. And, and so like people talk about like, ideas, but like there's so much technology in Bitcoin, which is tried, true, proven, and real. It's, it's been growing, you know, for over the past decade, you, you've seen like a hive, you know, we're especially highly enmeshed at the technological vanguard of mining and, and advancing that aspect of the sector. But, you know, if you look at the the layer two stuff on Bitcoin, like the, the lightning network. And I remember a few years ago, there was root stock. Like there's so many exciting things happening in the ecosystem. So like be able to separate like pie in the sky, like technology 
concepts versus like actual technology development that's like real right so i would say like bitcoin is like very real and like new fanciful crypto concepts like icos well those are not new anymore but they were back then just definitely buyer beware right and if you are going to roll the dice on something like that have your limit order set so when it does rally you at least can like you know get your gain because yeah like definitely the ICO. a bunch of people i knew lost money in icos and people get swept up in the excitement right so they're, they're thinking it's gonna moonshot and, and maybe it does for like a quick blip but then you know we all know what happens after that no totally i mean we've seen it at length especially during this bear market cycle of which different cryptos turned out to not be anything more than a quick little get rich quick scheme for some people totally. um I want to shift our focus primarily to Bitcoin, though, and we this week saw the hash rate and difficulty reaching new all-time highs. What are yeah. you paying attention to in the market? What are you seeing as a signal that is allowing these new levels to be reached? Well, I, I like what I do is I like to pay attention to two key key, key parameters. Uh, one is hash price, right? What is your dollar per terahash per day that you would earn if you were mining? And this is like across the industry, right? It's, it's, you can go to like just Google coin hash price or something. Bitinfocharts.org has, has a good, has a good chart. And so we're at 7.5 cents a terahash a day, which is like all time lows. Like, I mean, and, and, you know, hash price is an integration of Bitcoin pricing difficulty. And so at 7.5 cents, you got to zoom out. You look, if you look back at the last three years, we haven't seen these levels of hash price since. 2020 july right so after the last having event in may so there was two calamities in 2020 there was covid like on march 12th where every commodity globally just crashed and hash price crashed for like a very short period to about this level and then after the having event before like so in so having event in may and then throughout the summer of 2020 mining economics were extremely bearish because the hash rate was high and, and Bitcoin price was, was, you know, not getting traction. And so we were seeing a hash price at this level. So, you know, we're, we're at sort of like three year lows and you can even zoom out further and go look back five years ago and you can see we're at even five year lows. But the other aspect, you can't only look at hash price. You have to understand that like ASICs get more efficient with time. So today there's ASICs on the market that do 100, 110 terahash a second, whereas five years ago, your S9, which was like your Model T for the preeminent crypto miner was only doing 13.5 terahash at about 90 joules a terahash. Well, guess what? Now machines are doing 30 joules a terahash. So the cost to produce a single hash is, is less. And so we just have more hash. So if you only look at your hash price of, of dollar per terahash per day of seven and a half cents, and you look back three years ago or five years ago, what you also have to remember is the common denominator is energy, right? Because Bitcoin is an energy backed currency. And so the same way that one would look at their electrical cost in cents per kilowatt hour is the same way that one must look at their revenue in cents per kilowatt hour. And so historically in the S9 era, right in 2018 and then 2019, in that first bear market of, of modern times, um, mining revenue with S9s dipped to about four cents a kilowatt hour, four cents a kilowatt hour, not a, not a terahash per day, uh, sorry, in cents per terahash per day. This is in cents per kilowatt hour. 
And right now with an S9, um, Bitcoin at, you know, 19,000 bucks hovering around that level, um, still at about 10, 11 cents a kilowatt hour with an S19. So there's a revenue floor where people have power at three, four cents that they can continue to mine, even if difficulty goes up. So there can actually be further compression of mining margins towards what I, my view is the global mining revenue floor is about four cents a kilowatt hour. And that's measured again by the efficiency. It takes into account the efficiency of your machine, not just the hash price. So, and, and you know, why, how did we get here? Well, Bitcoin mining has gotten institutionalized. You know, the first rally of Bitcoin miners that went public was in 2017, Hive, HUD8, Bit Farms. There were smaller companies, Fortress, which I founded, um, Star and so forth. But then in 2021, you had some really big U.S. players get in, right? Marathon, you've got Clean Spark, um, which, um, Riot, of course. And so now that there's that American capital poured in 2021, hundreds and hundreds of millions were raised by you know each company. And so you were having like multi-billion dollars allocated toward ASIC procurement. And so that obviously drove production up and and... Here we are with, you know, north of 200x a hash. We've also seen much of the, many of the publicly traded miners that you mentioned, you know, this has been a very difficult time, just a broader bear market, a global recession in the backdrop. And the price of Bitcoin has, of course, followed suit. How has Hive prepared itself for this bear market? And sort of what are the expectations going forward for the rest of this year and into 2023? Well, the good thing about Hive is, well, there, there's there's a few things that Hive has done to strategically position itself. So first of all, we where we can, we always hedge our electricity. So for example, in Sweden, we hedge 24 megawatts of power at 3 cents, 3 cents US. And uh, we own and operate a lot of our, our data centers. So for example, our data center in New Brunswick, which is 70 megawatts, it's a four building campus. We own the land, we own the buildings. Um, the theme here is being in control of your own destiny, not being levered, right? We haven't taken loans against any of our crypto and we haven't financed any of our ASIC hardware, right? And on top of that, we've got a large treasury of well over 3000 Bitcoin. And uh, broadly, the company is has been cash flow positive, you know, and so the uh, having having a company with cash flow positive operations allows you to get through these these bear markets. And so you've got to be astute when you manage your your treasury, right? And so are you mining and selling? We also recently announced an at the market financing, being a publicly traded company on Nasdaq. So it's understanding like the modalities, right? Like. You know, do you want to issue stock or is that dilutive or do you want to save your crypto treasury? And and moreover, as any longtime crypto miner knows, the best time to scale is actually during a bear market. Um, and, you know, in sort of a contradictory manner, capital markets don't really want to give you money in a bear market, right? Everyone's pulled back, which is understandable. And so everyone in the public market scales during bull markets, right? So they're raising money when it's easy to raise money. And a lot of companies are paying like 80 bucks a terahash for ASICs, which is crazy. You just, you just don't do that. And so, you know, Hive, I think has done a good job over the years, a great job over the years of growing, like our chairman, Frank Holmes, he led two acquisitions, our facility in Lachute, which is 30 megawatts during the bear cycle in 2019. <clears throat> and then the facility in New Brunswick, which is now, which 
which is now 70 megawatts. That initiative began in late 2020 before the, the bull market of 2021 started. So it's a great time to grow through M&A during distress cycles. And we're seeing that now. You're seeing assets all over the place. People are doing fire sales of ASIC for 20 bucks a terahash, right? So it's, uh, I think, you know, if, if I sum up everything I just said, don't bite off more than you can chew, right? And uh, that's the best way to survive this. There are a couple of different directions we can go. And I want to explore one facet of this, which is, you know, at the beginning of this year, we saw a lot of these publicly traded miners announced very lofty goals and expectations for what they wanted their company's hash rate contribution to be to the total network. Some companies have kept pace, others have been struggling. Headwinds such as supply chain issues or the energy crisis seem to be preventing miners from actually getting to that level. I'm curious what you would attribute the strongest headwind for miners plugging in new mining rigs to be right now. So I think a couple a couple things. A lot of miners did bite off more than they can chew. And sort of the cardinal sin of Bitcoin mining is buying machines, allocating capital, and then having them sit on the floor, right? Because as, as you well know, in order to realize an ROI, you need, you know, always be hashing, right? And so if you've bought more miners, because because here's the thing, right? If I always like to think about the what if scenario, well, what if you can't just, you know, go raise more money in, in the public markets? You know, have you positioned yourself where you'll still be able to flourish? And so if you've overextended your capital, whatever amount that you had to invest, and you cannot plug in all the machines, it destroys your models, right? Because, you know, when you're, when you're, trying to uh, get an ROI in Bitcoin mining and you're you're very astute with your capital and you time the market well, you would hope that maybe you could buy machines around 30, 40 bucks a terahash or obviously now 20 bucks a terahash. Amazing. An ROI in, in, in six to nine months. Now, buy machines at 20 or 25 bucks a terahash today. You're not going to ROI in nine months with these mining economics. However, when things pick up, you like mining economics shoot up, hash price shoots up, your revenue per kilowatt hour shoots up and you can very much actualize a six to eight month ROI, and then you're free cash flowing, right? But you need to make sure all that capital you deployed is hashing. And so it's sort of like, you know, having your net in a river and when there's no fish, there's no fish and the net's not collecting a lot. But like, if everybody's just running to the river, as soon as the salmon come and your net's already in there, you're golden, right? But if all the other guys are sort of like, oh, wait, hold on me too. I want to get in there. And so there's this, everyone's like trying to pay, play catch up. They, they raise money. They buy all these machines, they put huge deposits down. They want to tell everybody we're going to be a 10 or 20 exahash, like, like huge figures. Like, like, you know, if you've been to like an even one exahash Bitcoin mine, like it's massive, right? Like the, like, you know, it's like roughly 30 petahash a megawatt, right? With new generation gear, that's 30 megawatts, 35 megawatts for one exahash. That's one exahash. You got guys out here talking about 10 exahash. Like, have you ever been to a 30 megawatt farm? Like they'll have their own freaking substation, dude. Like this is like beyond industrial. It's like a civic allocation of resources. And so like, you know, if you're just like looking at spreadsheets, it's easy to use charts showing like this shape, like, yeah, you know, to the moon, but to actually build and execute, a lot of people have not done that. And so I think the biggest headwind is, Biting off more than you can chew, and and as a as a result of that, not having you know rack space fully built out. By the way, because it can be, you know, a distribution panel. It can be a connector. It can be one little piece 
that can prevent your facility from being complete. And then guess what? You're not hashing, right? And so methodically expanding, like high, like we've always had very realistic growth targets and we've hit them consistently, right? You know, I like last year when everybody was talking about getting a 20 exahash, we're like, well, no, you know, we'll be at like six exahash, you know, in a year from now. And we had a very measured growth of monthly shipments that were fully funded for. And so I think, I think that's, it's, it's just people wanting to rush into the space, compete with each other on long-term projections with no one, let alone the capital or the track record to get there. And, and, you know, you got, then you look at like a company like Hive, which was the first public crypto miner ever. Right. So I think it's important to look at, and, you know, there's a few others, right. That have been publicly traded in mining since 2017. I think it's really important to look at track record because, you know, it's crypto mining, it, it's, it's unique and people that, you know, put together a team of, of executives that, that sound impressive, but have, have they built out, have they deployed, have they hashed before? Right. And so that, that's the, that's the other side of it. Sometimes lack of experience can be a headwind. I want to talk, you've, you've mentioned now a couple of times how Hive was the first publicly traded mining company. And mm-hmm. since we have seen quite a few other companies enter the public markets, first, I'd just love to hear your expectations of just Bitcoin mining in general in the public sector and how the future of that will look like as we're seeing proof of work and Bitcoin mining be put under a spotlight in DC at the same time. So sorry, what was the question? Like, what's the future of proof of work? No, the future of the publicly traded Bitcoin miners. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I think that so so a, cu- a couple of things like not all publicly traded Bitcoin miners are created equal, right? I think what's happening now, again, getting back to the scale, the sheer scale of the business, like, you know, Hive runs, we've got 130 megawatts active globally. And some of our peers are, are at that level, even larger. And so when you're at this massive scale, it's not like, like back in the day, right? Like you had a five megawatt coin mine and, you know, it might be in one warehouse, right? And you had power from utility coming in, you know, maybe medium voltage, like four kilovolts and, you were guaranteed 99% uptime from the utility provider. And all you had to worry about was what was happening in your little facility. But now you have to swim more upstream. Like you have your own substation. So in New Brunswick, we have, we have a 50 megawatt and 80 megawatt substation that we own on our land. So we have high, high voltage engineers. We have, uh, you know, high power technicians that are doing substation maintenance. You have to go one rung up the ladder and now you're, you're managing infrastructure beyond just the miners. And not everybody is, is, is accustomed to doing that. Like they're seeing at this scale, like, oh man, like there's a lot of heat, right? Our miners are overheating. Like, and so what I'm getting at is I'm getting at the Bitcoin per exahash per month, which is a measure of uptime because clearly as we've seen, not everybody running, you know, one, two or three exahash of Bitcoin mining capacity is producing the same amount of Bitcoin per exahash. And in fact, you're seeing a massive variance. Like Hive has led the industry month after month this year. It became like a standard thing to report your monthly product around, you know, December, January of last year. And, you know, we're nine, 10 months into that process. And month after month, you know, we've been at the leading our peer group. Why? Because we have the best uptime. Why? Because we have our team of coders network and system admins who are constantly around the clock working, you know, our data center technicians. And, and that's, that's kind of a key thing, right? Because if you have companies, and by the way, that figure, depending on difficulty, it's somewhere between 135 to 140 Bitcoin per exahash per month has been the metric 
over the last six months. Obviously, there's been, you know, that that can vary on, on months with higher or lower difficulty. And there's guys like Anthony Power. He's a compass mining. He writes about this. He covers it, right? So there's so many, you know, industry analysts that cover this. And they realize that now because if you have a guy that's got like 2x a hash and he's producing more Bitcoin than a guy that's got 3x a hash, it really makes you think, right? So that's so I think the best performing players will navigate the bear market. All these things contribute to ROI. If you cannot ROI in your original investment and make it back and then grow your footprint, you know, what are you doing? Like if you can't even make back your first investment, your 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 long-term scenario is not looking good. So I think those guys will get acquired and not them necessarily as a company, but probably just their assets, right? And so that's that's likely what happens. And I I, I think the other thing too is I was also the first ESG conscious crypto miner. Every Bitcoin and Ethereum that Hive has ever mined has been with green energy, right? Because we're geothermal and hydro. And so we're sort of like, you know, ESG before it was cool. So I think as institutional capital, you know, warms up and, and gets more involved in the sector, based on the conversations I've had with, with the really big players, ESG ticking that box is very important. So I think you're going to see the best operators slowly acquire the assets of, of the guys that are having trouble keeping it together. And then more, there'll be a move towards green or non-carbon emitting sources of energy. So Bitcoin can be a sustainable energy-backed currency. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your digital assets. Collateralized loans are great for living expenses, buying a car, or even for when you just have to have that sweet Rolex. But what isn't so great is when you then lose the ability to trade your assets once your loan has been taken out. So just like you, Moon Mortgage believes you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. Moon Mortgage's Trade and Borrow is the world's first digital asset loan margin account, allowing you to instantly trade your Bitcoin while borrowing against your account, all with next to zero insolvency risk, no origination fees, nor any third-party risk, as Moon Mortgage will never lend out your digital assets. Welcome to the future of collateralized lending. Visit moonmortgage.io today to learn how you can trade, borrow, and then trade your digital assets some more. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. 
Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. All right, and I ask this truly as respectfully as I can, but when I hear ESG getting thrown around by miners, there's a degree of this where I have to kind of ask, like, why does that matter? These taglines and slogans are just something that were made up. I mean, two-thirds of ESG has nothing to do with the environment to begin with. And then beyond that, we've kind of seen the detriment of following ESG sort of guidelines. Sri Lanka is a perfect example. And the reason I want to kind of share that as an example is, is there not a scenario where as more ESG mandates get thrown onto Bitcoin miners, whether they're publicly traded or not, would these types of regulations not inhibit the potential growth of that industry? Yeah, I I think that's a very thoughtful question and I'm happy to engage with you on it. So it's something that you know, the word ESG didn't exist in 2017 when HUD was going public. And so back then it was about green energy, right? Renewable energy, right? And so it was, Hive was mining and started mining in Iceland, which is geothermal. And by the way, I've been to the facility there. You could literally see the steam coming out of the geysers. And and then in Sweden and, and of course, Quebec, you know, we've got all hydropower. And so originally it was just like, hey, we're using green energy, right? And so that's why I said, you know, Hive was ESG before it was cool. And so then I think in 2021, early 2021, actually, I mean, more broadly in capital markets, ESG, I remember hearing that as early as um, like January, 2020. And I think that as that mandate sort of takes shape and it, as it applies to any industry, you know, yeah, it's going to have this sort of like template of like, okay, well, if you want to qualify, you know, you have to tick all these boxes for, for us having been, you know, mining with green energy from the beginning, we are able to say, all right, well, you know, fortunately we, we happen to comply now as it, as it may inhibit for other players, I think that personally using using stranded energy right energy that is too costly to economically transmit and sell is you know and there's a lot of wasted and trapped energy uh, mining bitcoin um, with stranded energy i think um is, is a good thing because otherwise you're not using it um, like flared gas mining for example i mean you know when the flared gas gets actually consumed in the, the instead of combusting into methane um, which is much more, has, a, has a bigger impact on you know the environment and the atmosphere than uh, CO two. Then then that's a good thing. Is that is that ESG conscious? I mean, I guess some people can make that case, but if you just distinctly look at the science and and production in in emission of methane on gas that's being flared, like there's seven or eight gigawatts of flared gas in the U.S. I would say that that's a good thing. So does whatever way whether or not a company is motivated by satisfying an esg mandate i think it's you know their their own decision like if a guy's mining bitcoin with coal in kazakhstan i don't think he really cares what people in north america are are seeing but if you're a publicly traded company and, and you want to have institutional capital and, and it matters to you then then you know you you do have to kind of figure out how how do you how do you tick that box and I think, you know, the other two factors of ESG, so, you know, social impact and, and governance. So what Hive does is we we actually do social impact, right? So like, you know, we sponsor the hockey team in Bowdoin. We're looking at doing heat recapture and collab. We're doing a JV with a company in Northern Sweden that wants to do greenhouses uh, to grow vegetables. And 
we've got some um, proof of concepts, sorry, conceptual drawings in place, and we're working to excited about building out a proof of concept. And in fact, we do heat recapture in Quebec where our uh, data center heats our neighbor, which is a 200,000 square foot building. They're a pool manufacturer, swimming pool manufacturer. And so that is how do you have positive social impact? You know, we look at funding academic and academic initiatives. So in, in, in that regard, it's, it's just a kind of good to give back to the community, you know, and then on, on the governance angle, you know, having independent board members and, and stuff where, you know, decisions are, are, are being given like proper consideration and scrutiny. So for if, if, you know, notwithstanding like how it applies to crypto, if you just look at companies that do have an ESG mandate, there, there is some merit in it. And then I, but again, it's maybe a more debatable topic as how it applies directly to Bitcoin mining. But for Hive, it, it, it does certainly on the environmental and a social impact fronts. Part of, Hive's, part of Hive's business model also includes mining Ethereum. Obviously, they've gone through a very famous merge where no longer using proof of work, the mining block rewards, frankly, just don't exist anymore. Now a proof of stake model has been introduced. How has that shift changed any of Hive's day-to-day operations or business model? Yeah, so we have about 6.5 terahash of GPU miners, right? 40% of those are from new generation NVIDIA, A40s, A4000s, A6000s. So these are data center grade cards that we bought last summer. And then the other 60% of that hash rate are our legacy cards, RX 580s, AMDs, which you know a lot of them came online back in 2018. And so first of all, first and foremost, the Ethereum mining business was immensely profitable for Hive. Um, the AMD legacy cards from 2018 ROI four times over, right? So when we talked earlier in this call, mining, you've got to make your money back so you can expand in cash flow. They ROI four times over in their time. And uh, I, I think I've never got credit for it. And I say that because, you know, Ethereum mining was doing 35 cents a kilowatt hour before the merge with our NVIDIA fleet, right? And about 17 cents a kilowatt hour with uh, our legacy fleet. And that's why I like to denominate things in cents per kilowatt hour. So you can do apples to apples, whether you're comparing against your cost base or mining amongst different cryptos. And so like mining Bitcoin with uh, right now is 10, 11 cents a kilowatt hour. So our Ethereum mining was, you know, generating three times as much, uh, three and a half times as much uh, per uh, revenue per kilowatt hour. Um, so three and a half times more profit dense on an energy basis. And so it is unfortunate that... Um, you know, the coding community Ethereum went this direction and all of a sudden the SEC is like, guess what? Ethereum's um, looking a lot like a security to us. I think there was a disconnect there where they didn't realize that having proof of work, which is very elegant and robust and, and has proven to be immutable, um, allows you to have a truly decentralized energy-backed currency, which Bitcoin remains as, as such. And, and so now that Ethereum has gone down this path, what does it mean for a GPU fleet? Well, we, we have a, a unique software algorithm and we're mining altcoins. Ethereum Classic is one of them, but we basically switch. And so what it's done is it's brought it's brought down our, our daily rent. We're certainly not doing 35 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, what Where we're at, we're not far off from as if we were mining Bitcoin in uh, the same footprint. So we had 24 megawatts of um, capacity. And so... To, to put that into context, that 24 megawatts was doing $150,000 a day in in revenue. Um, there's a 24 megawatt uh, footprint of um, ASIC. You know, let's just say you've got, you know, 30 joule per terahash machines. 
you might be doing 40 grand a day revenue, right? So again, it's about three and a half times profit dense per megawatt. So even if we had um, ASICs in that same 24 megawatts doing 40 grand a day, well, right now we're actually with, with our altcoins, we're, we're mining, we're not quite up to that 40 grand a day mark, but we're, we're approaching it. And we've also got something called FCRD in Sweden, where we get paid to do grid balancing. And so when you add that revenue back, um, we're, we're essentially at par in that 24 megawatts as if we were mining Bitcoin. So, um, here's the thing, like we have an edge. Why? Because, um, Bowden data center is one of the largest, if not the largest single site Ethereum mines in the world that's been running for, you know, four or five years. So we have an incredibly sophisticated team. And on top of that, we've got highly efficient fleet, the same way that you've got, you know, whatever, 40 joule per terahash, 35 joule per terahash ASIC miners, you say you have the same thing. What's your joules per mega hash for, for GPU mining. And so our NVIDIA fleet are like, they're basically like S19 XPs of GPU mining, right? And, and that constitutes a huge amount of our hash rates. That gives us a big edge. So, you know, Hive is well positioned to navigate these headwinds. And, you know, we'll have, we'll have more info on our production at the end of September when we do our September production report. But, you know, we're obviously focusing on expanding our Bitcoin mining footprint now, right? And so that's where Intel comes into play. And so Hive is one of three companies globally that has a allocation of Intel. And this is an initiative that started last October. They reached out to us and they actually did a series of technical interviews with myself and my CTO, Bill Gray. And they realized that, you know, we would be a good strategic partner because the Intel deal is for actual ASIC chips. And from there, you have to build a ASIC mine or a system, if you will, around that. I have a, I, I did microelectronic engineering is in university. That was my, I earned my degree in. I worked at a company called Sierra Wireless. So I very much understand electronic system integration. And so we're going to be first to market with the Intel ASIC miner. We actually have a few prototypes. I was in New Brunswick last week. I got to see it in person for the first time and we're receiving our first commercial shipments in a few weeks. So I'm very excited about that. And so we've got over an exahash of of six coming in between now and December. And that's going to grow our Bitcoin mining footprint by about 60%. So it's about, again, you know, being able to navigate these, these bear markets, these headwinds, not buying off more you can chew. And, you know, we've adjusted our growth outlook to be very methodical and make sure we can hit these targets. So that's, that's how we're navigating the merge queue. All very exciting stuff. Indeed. I didn't, I do want to ask you, we we're seeing increased efforts on the regulatory side, both just against proof of work and Bitcoin as a whole. Is there any type of legislation that concerns you or something that you're keeping an eye, eye on coming out of DC? Yeah. You know, I, I think that if, so, you know, when Jensen was talking last week about, you know, regulation of cryptocurrencies, the one thing that I, I actually hope is that I hope it's the CFTC that oversees Bitcoin. So I hope Bitcoin gets treated as a commodity. I think that would be a good thing. And then if, you know, they're like, well, Ethereum is a security, then that's fine. Right. But I think Bitcoin should be treated as a commodity. I think Michael Saylor does a great job of really explaining to people that when you do proof of work, you're creating digital property, right? And, and so that's digital property. So it's like a commodity, you know, if you and me just made up another, you know, altcoin called Qcoin and we minted a billion of them and we started airdropping them to our friends and promoting it. Well, guess what? It's just like doing an IPO. Oh, by the way, they used to call them ICO. So you can actually see how 
you know, when you when you get into staking, it, it definitely looks and smells a lot like a security. But guess what? Who's behind it? What JP Morgan, you know, you've got these kind of like players that, you know, clearly love the model of having a centralized bank. So now that you've got staking cartels that can validate blocks, I really think that proof of stake projects are just going to look more and more like traditional finance governed by centralized banks. So I think that, you know, there's there's been an immense amount of technological development when you do see companies like Intel getting involved in, in proof of work. And look, NVIDIA and AMD, a lot of their sales while Ethereum was a proof of work project were, were coming from crypto. So I think that as people can understand that having a, a currency backed by something and that's something being energy, that's a good thing, right? Because, you know, there's, there's, you look at the US dollar used to be backed by gold and then it was kind of sort of backed by oil. And, and now that's sort of, you know, even, even becoming a little bit unhinged and, you know, there's, there's been so much money printing. So I, I, I hope that, you know, the US federal government can acknowledge Bitcoin as a commodity. Uh, and, and look, I was in DC in 2018 and I was at a, at a conference and it was actually a conference put on by a law firm and even in 2018 the sec all these like you know k street type of characters they were just trying to figure out how to tax crypto right i think once they could figure out an efficient framework to tax it right then they'll be like okay great like you know now we know how to realize taxable income from this asset class great we're, we're satisfied because you look at the quality of companies and you look at the CEOs that the crypto mining sector is drawn. You have so many YPO members now, which you didn't see, you know, five years ago. So you've definitely got like institutional grade management in, in a lot of these companies right now. So it attracts a lot of great intelligent minds. And so I think that especially in the US, if they realize that this can be a great hotbed. I was in Houston for a conference and one of the guys that was presenting, he was calling Bitcoin the American electro dollar. And I love that. You know, I really like that. Well said, and I might actually see it, steal that little slogan. Yeah. I didn't, as we wrap up, I want to give you the opportunity to touch on anything that I didn't have a chance yet to ask you about or leave you with the final word. No, I thought this was a phenomenal interview, Q. You were asking very thoughtful and insightful questions. I, I, I might actually ask you a question. I mean, how, how do you feel about proof of work? Like, what are your, what are your, do you have any concerns about what's coming out of DC? You know, I've obviously spoken about how I, I hope that they can regulate Bitcoin as a, as a commodity and figure out a tax framework. And, and so then it, you know, everyone can easily uh, purchase Bitcoin and it enters, enters the American economic system. But what are your thoughts? I, I will say that candidly, I kind of have gotten to a point where should the US regulators or just a broad sweeping declaration of banning proof of work mining were to come into effect, I actually don't think that it would have the negative impact on the longer term that regulators would anticipate. I think China is the perfect example where Mining Bitcoin has been banned now for a little bit more than a year, and yet there is still some hash rate coming out of that country. Um, we've seen time and time again, different jurisdictions try to Im implement some sort of regulatory efforts against Bitcoin. And then in the same breath, you see other countries that create regulatory efforts that are help to, I think, exponentially grow Bitcoin and its adoption. As the world becomes more digitized, we will see the opportunity to leave a certain jurisdiction based on our taxes. Um, ultimately, and, and this is 
something we didn't really get a chance to go down this rabbit hole, but there was a recent blog post by Paul Stork on truthcoin.info where he essentially mapped out and discussed how and why proof of stake mining is actually no better for the environment than proof of work. And the entire argument is rooted around the amount of energy you need in order to secure the amount of capital to then create a staking pool on a proof of stake blockchain is comparable, if not more than the amount of energy used in a proof of work mining system. Ultimately, we live in a proof of stake system with our current monetary system. So it's a lot easier, I think, for the powers that be to just see proof of stake is like, hey, we're used to this. This makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) They want, they don't want change. Right. So as soon as they realize the DNA, it's like very simple. It's like, oh, right. So if we have more money, we can just control everything. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one, give, give us that one, right? Yeah. So no, that's that's very interesting. And sorry, what was the uh, what was the gentleman's name who came up with this theory? The proof of stake uses just Paul money. Stork. It's spelled S Z T O R C. All right. Cool. Thank you. I see that in the, the yeah. DM. Iden, thank you so much for your time. And as always, if you are not yet subscribed, please, please, please press the subscribe button and leave a review. Thank you all. We'll be back next time with another interview on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Awesome. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.